You know, this morning I want to talk about what I think is one of the most beautiful and Christ-like graces there is. It's a grace that is essential to all of our relationships in the body of Christ. And I call it a grace for this reason, because it's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we produce or develop or program ourselves into. It's a grace of the Spirit of God. And I also call it a grace for this reason, because it's not something you're gonna find in this world. It's not something the world values. It's something we find in the kingdom of God. It's something we find in Jesus, but the world, which has a attitude of independence and me first, you'll never see this kind of attitude being, or this kind of grace being valued. It's also a grace that's gotten a bad rap in the church. Basically, there's people in the church that have been more influenced by the culture than they have by the scriptures, and therefore this grace has taken a bad hit. This grace is called submission. And we find it in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you remember a few months ago, uh, the next few weeks we'll be back here in Ephesians 5 working through marriage. We kind of walked up to this passage. Then we did the series on spiritual warfare and came back for the summer to marriage. Remember a number of months ago, we studied this passage about being filled with the Spirit, and we learned that there's four results, four graces, four manifestations of being filled with the Spirit, and these same manifestations or fruits, when we practice them, reinforce us being filled with the Spirit, and we see them in verses 19 through 21. The first one is being so filled with the Word of God that we speak it to one another. The second one has to do with a heart that is just singing worship to the Lord, not for 15, 20 minutes on Sunday morning, but throughout the whole week. It's just a heart that's singing worship to the Lord. Thirdly, it's a heart of gratitude. Heart of gratitude to the Lord for all that he's given us and all that he's done. And then finally, the one we want to focus on today it's a heart of submission to one another. Listen to verse 21 in Ephesians 5. And be subject to one another. That's one another in the body of Christ in the fear of Christ. I want to focus on this verse this morning and understand it better because it really drives the rest of chapter five and the start of chapter six up to verse nine. This, this verse, we see defined what it looks like in different relationships as we continue on in Ephesians five, as we see the husband and wife relationship, what does submission look like when we're submitting to one another? Yes, a wife is to follow the leadership of her husband, but actually a husband submits to his wife in this sense. He lays down his life for her out of love for her. And then we move into chapter 6 where we see the relationship between the parents and the children 
And then we see a relationship between what I'm going to call an employer-employee relationship and what it looks like. So we're, we're going to learn over the next number of weeks. We're going to open up before us in a big way what the submission look like in our different relationships. So today I want us to take a look at this so we better understand just what it is. The word simply means this, to rank myself under somebody else. It's putting myself underneath someone else and their authority. A synonym to that, a word we find in scripture that is very similar to it, is basically humility. Now you're in Ephesians 5, just turn over a few chapters to Philippians, the next book. Philippians 2, we see a beautiful picture of humility here in Jesus. And one thing you're going to learn this week and next week, Jesus' whole life was a life of submission. His life was a life of humility. He ranked himself under the Father, and he willfully and joyfully submitted to the will of his Father. And so submission is a grace that's right at the heart of Jesus and his life as he walked on earth and is called to be in our relationships with one another. So in Philippians 2, we get a little picture and a call to this kind of attitude, uh, the same one we see in Jesus. So listen, as I start in verse 3 of Philippians 2, again, I'm saying this is a synonym to submission and gives us a little feel what it looks like. Do nothing. Nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That, that's, that verse in itself is amazing. You know what he's saying very simply is this. I'll put it into a modern day Pat Peglo translation. He's saying Jesus was fully God. <laughs> when he was on earth, he existed in the form of God and he was fully equal to the Father. But he didn't feel that equality was something that he had to hang on to and had to get my rights and everybody had to know that I'm equal with the Father. So Jesus, it says here, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality of God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, not of his deity or his godhood, but of his individual independent use of them, and all of his rights as God, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Submission is that humble quality 
not hanging, have to hang on to my rights and we're all equal, but willfully and joyfully placing myself under somebody else to the glory of God. And so as we look at this passage, we find that submission is kind of like obedience, but it really carries another aspect to it. There's something that's added to submission that goes by beyond obedience. I want to try to add that to you so you can understand the distinction. In this context in particular, in Ephesians chapter 5, as we're going to see here, as we're called to submit to one another, that it really is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church, that submission is something that is willful. I want to do it. It's something that out of respect to the one I'm doing it to, it's something that comes from deep down inside of here, and I have a bond with the one to whom I'm submitting to. Husbands and wives, Jesus and the church. There's a relationship, there's a respect, there's a willingness, there's something that comes from the heart. And the motive of all this we see in verse 21, by the way, in the attitude we do this one, to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. As we do this, we're doing it out of our respect for Jesus. And so as I'm submitting to others, I'm doing this because I love Jesus and I respect him and I know this is what he's calling me to. Now obedience is a little bit different. Again, I said submission comes from the inside and it's willing, right? Obedience can be external and you can do it against your will. Actually, you, you can do it without really wanting to do it. So how does that happen? Well, you've heard the story about the mother who is telling his son next to him, sit down. And the child won't sit down. He said, I told you to sit down. The child won't sit down. He says, sit down or else. And then all of a sudden this child sits down. But you know on the inside, that child is still standing up. <laughs> and they didn't do it because they wanted to, they did it to avoid the consequences. You see, submission in this passage and in this context is talking about a willful, joyful, from the core of my being, willing to place myself under that other person because of my love and my bond for them. And so this morning, we're gonna take a look at this grace of submission, this humbly placing myself under someone else. And we're gonna see that, um, you know, submission, by the way, and when you talk about doing that, that really flies in the face of selfishness. And, you know, me first and what I want and my way um, you know, marriage has a way. If you're single, close relationships have a way of showing us just how selfish we can be. So somebody came up to me a couple of weeks ago, I think it was one, one of the women here, and she said, wow, Pat, you know, one thing marriage has really taught me is how selfish I can be. And submission flies in the face of selfishness. It actually flies in the face of our flesh. What does Romans 8 says? It says that the mind that is set on the flesh does not submit itself to God. It's not even able to. 
And so what we're talking about this morning is a grace that only God can produce. It's not something that comes out of our selfish nature. It's not something that comes out of our flesh. It's something that the Spirit of God has to, depend, has to produce within us. And that's the heart of the point I want to leave with you this morning. That's, if there's nothing else, you catch what I'm saying today. I want you to hear this. Marriage requires us to live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. If you want to do this thing well, you want to succeed, you need to deeply depend upon the Spirit of God to do something in you to make it possible. He's the one that gives us the internal stuff that we need to make a marriage work. Remember the context we're in? We're in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me take you back up. I, I didn't read it before, but I will now, starting in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dis dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, dissipation means it's a wasting of your life, a wasting of your time. And the picture here is, is rather than being under the influence of alcohol, which causes you to live a reckless, wasteful life, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you do? You speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then it goes on. And we're going to pick up with that verse next week, in particular about wives being submissive to their husband. But this whole context shows us this. This attitude of submission is a fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now remember what we've talked about so far. Let, let's go back for a second. We started off and talked about building our marriage either on the foundations that the world builds it off of, looking to marriage to make me happier, complete, or we can build it off of God's foundations. And the one I just want to mention this time is, is recognizing marriage wasn't designed to make me happy, but to make me holy. Brothers and sisters, to willfully and joyfully embrace that kind of goal for my marriage and foundation is going to take the Spirit of God to recognize God. You're more concerned about me becoming more like Jesus than you are about me being happy. That means the things that even make me unhappy in my marriage are part of the processes that God is using to make me more holy. Then we had a second week with Kim and I shared, and Kim talked about the importance of studying your mate and getting to know their uniquenesses so you can be a blessing to them. And I talked about the importance of embracing your mate where they are today rather than trying to hang on to where they were when you first got married because life comes at us and things happen and we change. Then we looked about Living marriage is a covenant, not as a contract. This isn't you do this and I'll do that. In a covenant, we die to ourselves. So guess what that means? That means that right now, my whole life is directed by 
the fact that I have died to my own independent life and pursuing my own desires and my own stuff, and I'm living fully for the purposes of blessing and loving and enriching this woman to the glory of God. You see, I've died to Pat just gets to do his thing and what he wants. I now live for a whole different purpose, and the same is true for Kim and for wives. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for the other person and the promises that we've made to them. Then we looked at last week. Marriage is designed to be the dance of one. And we learn how to dance together well, even though we're very different from one another. And we talked last week about learning how these differences can be a blessing to us Rather, the thing that causes strife and division. We're going to see in weeks to come that we're being called by the scripture for a wife to follow the leadership of her husband willfully and respectfully. And for husbands to lay down your life for the sake of your wife. And this morning we're hearing about this Call a scripture that every one of us, even in our relationships with one another, says nothing to do with our marriage. He defines what it looks like in marriage, but even before that, as we walk with one another, we're to walk humbly with one another, respectfully, submitting ourselves to one another in our relationship with the Lord and one another. My point is this. You've heard me say this before. I first heard it from Howard Hendricks. I buy into it 1,000%. And I'll stop, I promise you, I'll stop saying it when you guys say it to me so much that I'm tired of hearing it. You got me? I want to make sure you understand this. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You see, when you think the Christian life is difficult, you try a little bit harder you find a new program and system to try. You try new accountabilities. You try all kinds of new stuff because this thing is difficult, but we can get through it if we just really commit ourselves and, and do it. But what happens when you realize the Christian life, what God's calling me to in marriage is impossible? I, I don't waste my time trying to do all that. I fall on my face before God and I say, God, I need you to do a miracle in my life. It's Galatians 2, 20 living. It's no longer I, but it's Christ. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It's a life where Jesus does a miracle in and through me. And the kind of stuff it's gonna take for us to be the kind of husband and wife that our mate needs, it's gonna have to come from the Spirit of God. And the sooner we recognize to be the kind of marriage partner that my partner needs, that I need to rely upon Jesus, the sooner it's gonna happen. We said it a few weeks ago, I read this from somebody, what's impossible for us is him possible. Put an H on the front of that impossible to him possible. And brothers and sisters, this is my heart today. Everything I've said up to this part in the series, everything I'm going to say in the rest of the series, everything I've ever preached up to this point, everything I'm going to preach until I stop preaching is built on this foundation. 
we need to depend upon the one who lives in us to carry these things out through us in a miraculous fashion as the Spirit of God equips me to live. See, a lot of people, again, if it's difficult, they're going to try hard to just be frustrated in the flesh for a long time. There's others who say, hey, this is impossible. God just wanted me to remember that and thank him for his forgiveness, which I am grateful for his forgiveness. But God wants me to look at the impossible as a reminder that not only does he forgive my sin, but he lives his life through me, through this broken, weak vessel. And he manifests through me things I could never do myself. So, this is my point this morning. (laughs) Guys, submission is at the heart of our relationships. And to be people who will live that way will need to be people who depend upon the Spirit of God. Now, I, I recognize that this series I've done is more like an architect than an engineer. Let me explain what I mean by that. And I hope I got it right, but an engineer explained it to me once this way, so I'm trusting I've got it right. An architect is the person that makes the blueprints. And they kind of lay out what this building's gonna look like and how it's gonna function. Okay, they got it all there on paper. The engineer is the person who takes the plans or the blueprint of the architect and he puts them into action. He tells you the things that are possible to do, the things that are practical to do, and just how this thing can really work out in this unique situation. What materials you need, what you gotta do to pull it off. So they take, in the sense, the theoretical and they make it practical in real life in the making of the building. They work out all those problems that you run into when the plans don't just work as smoothly as we thought they would. And you know what? I know I've preached this series like an architect. Um, I've kind of laid out for you the blueprints from God's word, what it's supposed to look like and how this thing's supposed to function. I've done some engineer work in my applications as I've sought to, you know, tell you, well, how how does this thing work out in real life? That's the part when I kind of move into the engineer work. But this is the reality. We need the Holy Spirit to be the engineer in our marriage. Because every person in this room, every marriage is at a different place. Every one of us brings our unique history, our unique makeup, our unique brokenness. You fill in the bank, we bring all the real life stuff and our past to this plate, and then I bring it in with another person that brings all of that, and for every one of us, it's unique. So every one of us is in a unique situation that we need the Holy Spirit to show us, how does this work for you? Okay, I heard Pastor Pat from the pulpit say this is what happens. How does this happen in the real street life of our relationship and our life? And the Spirit of God uses different people and different practices and different materials to help us know how it works. 
So I'm fully aware. I want you to, that's one of my frustrations when I preach about anything, but especially marriage. It's way bigger than what I'm going to present to you. <laughs> I feel like I'm giving you a thimbleful of an ocean of stuff you really need to do this thing well. The good news is those thimbles, since they all come from the truth of God's word, are valuable thimbles and they're helpful, but there's so much more. And there is so, uh, what, what do you want to say, the, you, the wisdom. You know, knowledge is the theory and the truth. Wisdom is how it works out in real life on the streets. And the wisdom that every one of us need for every one of our relationships is unique. You know, we got people that are just new to marriage, and you're, you're kind of like, hey, this is exciting, let me learn, you know, let me get this blueprint, I didn't know that stuff. We got some that are in a rut. They've been in the ball game for a while, and they're just kind of doing like Kim and I talked about, they become professional husband and wife, they're pulling off the family and marital responsibilities, but their hearts are not really burning with cherishing love for one another. There's some I know they're in here that are doing well and they're like, man, give me more. I want to do even better. But I also know that there's some who are in crisis. And there are people who are in the brink of this thing being throwing in the towel. There's some, and you can take it all the way from an insensitive mate to an actively abusive mate. And everything in between and my point is, every one of us, and this, that's, the, that's the cool thing about the Spirit of God. He's able to take the truth and say, how does it work for you? 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 And my encouragement for all of us today is this. We need the Spirit of God to miraculously produce within us the things we need to be the kind of marriage person we need to be for our mate. We need the Spirit of God to produce that. And we need the Spirit of God for the wisdom on how to walk step by step in our marriage. And I want to close by this. I want to give you some practical materials the Spirit of God could use for you, depending on where you're at things that can become a part that you could say, hey, that, that kind of connects with where we're at. We want to take a look at this. I want to talk about, first of all, the three books that I've been reading uh, for this series. The first one is called Cherish by Gary. I, I put it up here. I know some of you like to use your phones and just take pictures. Hopefully you can, uh, if you're interested in any of these books, just take a picture of it, go out to Amazon or wherever you get your books and you can get it. This book uh, is really powerful, and I really loved it, and I wish every man at Moraine would read this because we're called to cherish our wives, guys. Now, he writes it for wives to husbands and husbands to wives, but that's a primary responsibility for husbands to cherish their wives and not become embittered towards them. And in this book, he gives us practical ways and understanding of what cherishing looks like. This is the book that's going to help us to understand how to live my marriage out of want to and delight for my mate rather than out of have to because I promised and I'm staying because of the commitment. 
So you're going to get all kinds of practical ways and ideas, both men and women, how to cherish your mate. Wonderful book. I loved it. Uh, a book I recommend, something that would help you. The next book is this, You and Me Forever, uh, by Francis Chan and his wife, Lisa. Now, the emphasis of this book is taking a more long view, an eternal and spiritual view of marriage. Most of us, when we think about preparing for the end of life, we think about this, where am I going to live? Do I have enough money? What am I going to do? We kind of look at those retirement years and we say, you know, that's the long view. We have a life. I'm looking at the end. His point, there's a bigger, more important end that's coming that we should be preparing for, and that's the time we stand before Jesus. So the question he's asking us is, what are you doing in your marriage to help your mate and yourself be ready for that day you stand before Jesus. Now, that's the long view of marriage. <laughs> that's what Ephesians 5 talks about. Well, husbands, loving your wives for that day when they would be presented before Jesus. And so he's helping us take that long view of what do we do and are we even thinking about the fact that marriage is really designed for me to be that instrument to help prepare my mate for that day they stand before Jesus. He also talks about the importance of looking at marriage as a mission and that God has brought you two together to carry out the mission that God's given us and how can we together use our unique gifts and makeup to further the work that God has. Third book is this. His Need, Her Needs. A subtitle is called Building a Marriage That Lasts, uh, Willard Harley. Uh, wrote this one. Um, it's a rewrite of a book he wrote in the past, which is called How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. So his point is, how do I get a marriage that will thrive and last, one that won't fall to the temptations that come to us through the world? What he's looking at here are the emotional needs that men and women normally have. Um, he actually has a thing in the book where we can kind of test to see which ones are, are, are most, you know, true of us. His goal is to help us, and he gives a lot of practical illustrations, how do, we, how do we meet that need in my mate's life? You know, this is, uh, I guess you could kind of say, this is, you read this book, it isn't like you're reading a Bible study on exegeting the scripture you're reading, it's kind of like a dad sitting down with his son saying, son, this is the way it really works. <laughs> you want to know how to love your wife? Well, this is the way she's made up. Are you meeting these needs? Do you even know what they are? Do you know how to dress them? Or it's like a mother sitting down with a daughter saying, hey, do you realize this is what men are like? This is what men need. Do you know how to meet that need? It's just, it's just full of practical wisdom. And you know what? Again, I'm talking... Strong, biblical, solid fund. This is all about our emotional needs and what are some of the unique makeups that we have. I want to encourage you, any book on marriage. You can take the book, uh, The Love Languages. There's a whole bunch. I love Gary Thomas's first book. Uh, kind of drove some of what we said that says, uh, it's called Sacred Marriage. And telling us marriage was not designed to make us happy, but holy. Um, there's just scores and scores of books out there 
uh, written from a Christian perspective to help us better understand how to do it. It's what I recommend if you're married. Read a chapter or maybe two or three chapters a week. Set up a time to have coffee together and then share with one another, what did I learn there? Now, it isn't the time to sit down and say, Kim, I read this and you need that. Uh, that's a good way to end a conversation and turn it real quick. It's a great time to say, baby, this is what God is speaking to me about with the hopes that she'll say, baby, this is what God is speaking to me about. <laughs> but even if she doesn't, you know what? It's a time to, to kind of read and learn and grow and share with one another how God is speaking to you. Just want to encourage you guys. Like I said, I'm opening the door for us in this series. There is so much more and there's so many resources that the Holy Spirit can use in your life to help you excel in your marriage. I'm excited about this next one. A round table again. We found those have been pretty helpful and, uh, to our body. We're gonna do a round table on marriage. We're gonna do it on August 22nd at 11.15 right in this room. It will be broadcast live for those who are watching at home. I tried to get four professional counselors or four counselors to do this, um, two men and two women. Uh, two of them have to be on vacation. So instead, I got my wife and myself, who are not professional counselors, but to sit in as two of those on that panel. But the other two is Ron Ovet's going to be on that panel. Many of you know Ron from Tuesday Night Emotional Resilience. And Kathy Gertler, who's ministered to many in this body in her counseling office, uh, both of them have tremendous experience and knowledge and wisdom in this area of marriage and dealing with people throughout the years in their real life situation. Kim and I have got the experience of ourselves and those we've dealt with. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And our goal for that day is to be really practical. The goal is not, Pat, bring up a Bible verse and we want to see how you interpret that. That's not what this is about. This is about real life on the street stuff. What are, actually I submitted, because I got a question I love to hear the others answer. So I've already submitted my question. I'd encourage you to submit questions that you would love to hear, because sometimes your question is exactly what somebody else needs or is thinking about or didn't even realize they need until they hear it. So you can submit that question by texting. I hope you can, is that up there where you can see the number? Um, you can text it to that number. Leave it up there long enough to take a picture of those who want. Or every Sunday we get electronic bulletins now. There's a link on there that you can just hit and go right there and put in your questions. So what real life situation question do you have from your perspective that you would love to hear someone speak to at that round table? Here's another thing. I, I, I can't recommend this high enough. Get a mentor. If your husband says, I need to learn how to be a better husband, or you're a wife that says, I need to learn to be a better wife. Matter of fact, we learn in Titus, one of the roles of the older women in the church is to teach the younger women how to be good wives and mothers. Um, maybe it's a couple together say, we just need help. I wanna encourage you, get a mentor. 
Look around and is there some you say, man, I like what's going on in that relationship. You know, again, you may not even be struggling. You may just say, I want to excel still the more. Or maybe you are struggling. You need help. Whatever would be the case. You know, this is true in our spiritual growth. It's true in our marriages. A personal mentor puts our growth on steroids. Goes way faster than any seminar, way faster than any book. But what happens is, is we have a real person who's sitting there talking to us. You know, when I preach, I'm like a shotgun. I shoot out pellets hoping to hit somebody. But when you're dealing with a mentor, yeah, I see some of you smiling. You may want to duck. I'm not trying to hit you in that sense. But, you know, you get to the point I'm saying. What does a sharpshooter do? Man, they take one shot and they've got it. You know, when you're with a mentor, they hear your situation and they're able by God's wisdom to like a sharpshooter to speak specifically into your life, into what you need. I want to encourage you, get a mentor. As a couple, as an individual, would you teach me how to walk this thing of marriage? I want to grow more. I want to be all that God wants me to be. For some, you need a counselor. Some of you are in trouble. Some of you are in crisis for hundreds of reasons why. And you know what? There is no, no shame in seeing a counselor. They're gifts from God. As you see someone who believes in God's word and has the skills of a counselor that has worked with many and literally hundreds of people over the years to be able to help you walk through your crisis. Maybe it's taking a class and we're talking and trying to work on maybe some follow-up classes to the series that could help out. Maybe it's a seminar of some sort. Again, thank the Bozies who over the years have kind of laid out for us each year with uh, the marriage seminar that they're connected with uh, that we often have advertised every fall, sometimes spring that you can go to. Um, finances is a real problem. Thank God for the team here at Moraine that has been doing YouTube uh, videos and online webinars and now some people coming and still got more to come that have talked about fi finances is one of the biggest stressors in marriage where people struggle a lot. We got help for you. Go out to YouTube, look those up. You have watch for the future ones coming. Be a part of that. Small groups. You know, maybe your small group's going to be going through something on marriage. Maybe they're not, but I'm going to tell you what small groups do. They build relationships with people. We can be honest with one another. This is where I'm struggling. We support one another. We counsel one another. We carry one another. We walk with one another. And small groups are so important if you're struggling to have other people that are going to know you and love you and walk with you in this. And then finally, prayer. You know, prayer, I don't want to say any better than this. Prayer puts one hand on God and one hand on the person or the marriage you're praying for. And what it does, it becomes the link, the channel, the instrument, the conduit through which the power and the wisdom of God can flow through to the person who we're praying for. And you know, I encourage you, and I'm going to tell you beyond come up on a Sunday morning, 
which is always a good thing when prayer people are here. You got brothers and sisters, but I encourage you to consider this. Maybe you need a prayer partner who you consistently pray with. And you know, with this new Zoom stuff that people have learned over the last year, it's not a bad way to do it because your prayer partner might be in Mokina and you may live in Oak Lawn. And it would take you 40 minutes to drive to see each other, but you get on Zoom, the 40 minutes you would need driving both ways, you can, you can spend it in prayer. Guys, my, my heart of my message today was this. We need God to produce in us the stuff we need to make marriage work. And we need the wisdom of God to know how to make it work in my unique situation. And a greater way to plug in than the Spirit of God in prayer. So let me close us in prayer. And just want to encourage you today, brothers and sisters, there is, you know, marriage is our testimony to the world of how Jesus relates to the church. Our kids are watching. Our neighbors are watching. People younger than us are watching and say, how does it work? And uh, we have the privilege of modeling something that could impact and change somebody's life that could change their marriage, that changes their kids' marriages, that changes their kids' marriages. It's a generational thing. It's worth the time, the intentionality, the dependence. So Father, I come, I just share my heart today. I, I long so much that we as a church, every one of us would say, God, where can I get better? And Lord, that every one of us would quickly turn to you for the internal development of the graces we need and for the wisdom we need for what we do next. So Father, I come to you. I bring us as Moraine Valley Church and us as a people. I wanna make our declaration of dependence upon you and ask you, Lord, to do things that only you can do. Deliver us from trying harder and trying to figure it out. And Lord, make us people who lock our eyes upon you like Jehoshaphat said, Lord, I'm powerless before this. Neither do I know what to do. God, we're powerless in producing in our own hearts what we need to be the kind of husband and wife we need to be. And Father, we're not smart enough to know how to apply all this to our lives. So Lord, we're locking our eyes upon you. In the name of Jesus, amen.